I'm going to go ahead and turn it over right now to Brother Lane. You come and preach to us, sir, what God's laid on your heart. good let's get our bibles opened up because that's always a good place to start when we're in church amen let's get our bibles opened up i'm actually going to read you another verse here real quick it's a very short verse uh and uh it's it's a verse that's uh very relevant to tonight's message. Now, you folks know us, and uh, I know this church knows about missions. Amen? When you get done here, go back. I have a little display table up there in the back, and I have some of our new prayer cards out there. And I have a bunch of stuff on there you can pick up and look at and touch and, and handle and samples of the money and the stamps and, and various things back there. And I always encourage people to pick our stuff up and touch. You can't hurt anything. And uh, I want you to, to look at that and, and uh, take one of those cards so you pray for us later. Uh, but uh, because this is a missions church, you know, sometimes it's a little bit harder. I think I've told you that before here. That's harder sometimes to preach in a, in a church that knows missions. Uh, but some of these things really are maintenance. Amen? You don't, always, you don't always do something just one time. You go back and do it again. If you only mow your grass one time, well... It's going to look like my grass. Amen. <laughs> you know, I remember my dad telling me, son, if you do a job right the first time, you don't ever have to go back and do it again. And I said, well, I'm doing something wrong every Saturday when I mow the grass, dad. And, of course, he, he failed to see my humor. But the point is that some things are maintenance. And this is, too. The Bible says this, brethren, pray for us. And your missionaries need prayer. We need prayer. And we need prayer all the time. And I want you to think about, do you pray for your missionaries and how you pray for your missionaries? Uh, and I, I want you to think about uh, the fact of some of these very specific things that we need that you can pray for. And, of course, missionaries uh, need your prayers in many ways. Sometimes there's nothing you can do for your missionary at a given moment except for pray. Uh, you know, we, here we are right now in our time frame right now. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit after 6 o'clock, but... Somewhere around the world, there's missionaries that are right in the middle of a church service. Some missionaries are traveling. Some missionaries are in bed asleep, and there's a thief in the alley out back. You don't know what's going on with your missionaries at any given time. At that little church in La Lanza, way out there in the jungle, we used to go out and visit out past that. And one time, I was all the way to the very last place I visit there. And I always say you couldn't go any farther in the jungle, because if you went any farther, you'd be on your way back out. And that's the truth. When you get up to La Lanza, you go about two or three miles past La Lanza, and you start getting back out again. And I was all the way up there, and I'd stopped the Jeep, and I'd gotten out of the Jeep, and I was out visiting some of the people in these little small bates that they live in. And when I came back to the Jeep, the Jeep was dead as a stone. Now, there's nothing you can do for me when I'm in that situation except for pray. That's all you can do is pray. You don't, know, you don't know where I'm at. You don't know what's going on. There's no contact. There was no cell phone signal out there. There's no, uh, there, there's, the only way I can communicate is to get on a vehicle and come back. Uh, one time I had come back in from the mountains. I was coming into Port-au-Prince, and I was going down, backing down this little alleyway. I had a worker with me, and I was taking him home into this rough neighborhood called Byzantine Saint-Antoine, and he had bought two 
uh, big bags, huge bags of charcoal. But we got back, it was after 2 o'clock in the morning. And so I decided to get this charcoal as close to his home as I could. And I was backing down this alleyway with these two big bags of charcoal. Uh, I had an Azuzu trooper at the time. And I was trying to back down that alleyway so I could get them two bags of charcoal close to his house. And stepping out of a little uh, place where the walls were changed, the, the dimension of the wall, there was a guy standing there. And he stepped out of there and he put a gun into the Jeep and he said, stop right there. And he said, you're a thief. I know you're backing up in here because you're a thief. And he was a little bit drunk. And I was, I was speaking to my worker. Uh, I had Luis there. And I was like, Luis, I think I can take him. You know? And Luis is going, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And I'm going, no, I can take this guy. I can get him. You know? and, and Luis is trying to talk me out of it. And I'm trying to talk him out of it. And Luis was trying to talk him out of it because he said he, that you know, people were robbing people. And I was the thief. And he was drunk. And so eventually we, we talked the guy down. We managed to get out of there. But what are you going to do for your missionaries that are in those situations? You're going to have to pray for them. And prayer is important. I want to give you just three things. A lot of things we could talk about for, for praying for your missionaries. I want to give you three of them. I want to give you three of the things that you can pray about tonight for your missionaries. Because uh, there are more than that. Now in this passage here in chapter 9 of Matthew very familiar passage of scripture in verse 35 it says and jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people but when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as shepherd having no sheep as, as sheep having no shepherd then saith he unto his disciples the harvest truly is plenteous but the laborers are few pray ye therefore the lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest that's a very familiar passage of scripture and man there's a lot of good missions messages right in there amen but i just want to hit on that prayer part tonight some of the things that you can pray for us for i need you to pray that god will send more laborers into his harvest that's what I need you to do. We need more workers. Do you realize that it's, it's actually somewhat ridiculous uh, that, that they can't do any better than me down there? You think about that. I mean, I tell people in my church, we're the poorest church in town because we have me as the pastor. Imagine we can't do any better than that. And uh, I get up to get up on a Sunday morning and leave early to get down to the Capitol to do the Haitian church in, in, the, in the Capitol on Sunday morning and then get back in the Jeep and go back up and, and get into the Harbacoa church. And we have, sometimes we'll do the, the Haitian church after. We have a, we have a Dominican service, in, a Haitian service in the morning, a Dominican service in the afternoon, and when the Dominican service dismisses another Haitian service. Sometimes I take off and go off to Haiti. Uh, when, I, when we were concentrating on the work in Polo, we would have our youth, our young people would be on Saturday night. We, it was kind of similar to what we're doing right now in Harabakoa. We would do our, our children on Saturday morning, the youth on Saturday night. Then we would have a Haitian service on Sunday morning. Then I'd run out to Lalanza, have a Haitian service in the afternoon, run back into Polo and have a Dominican service in the evening. That's ridiculous. I have missionaries calling me saying, Brother Lane, we have a bunch of Haitians over here in our town and they want to start a church. Can you come and help us? And I tell them, no, I can't help you. I've got a whole list of things that I'm not doing well now. We need you to pray that God will do just what it says. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know what? We need more warm bodies on the field. Now, we always need prayer. But I need more warm bodies down there on the field because they're going to bring things that I cannot get anywhere else. 
if I, if I have, you know, the things that we can buy and purchase and mail, I can get those. You can get those for me and mail those to me. But the, but the only thing that, uh, uh, that, that I can't get is another warm body on that field. And they bring a bunch of stuff with them. For example, they bring their personality. Now, personalities are different. This church knows that. Personalities are different. You look at the pastor. You look at Brother Scott. You look at Brother Tolman. You, you look at the pastor who was here before. All these personalities are different. And you know, when I'm out there on the mission field, it's no different. There are some people who will respond to my personality, and I can preach the gospel, and I can witness, and they'll come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There are other people who might be turned off by me. There are other people who won't respond to me. Other people might think I'm just crazy. But another guy might come, and that very person that I cannot win for Jesus Christ, another person can reach them for Jesus Christ. God uses that personality. God uses, when somebody else comes, uses their experience. God uses their ability. I, I don't have the uh, 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 tremendous abilities in some areas. Uh, just before I came back here, which is one reason why the PowerPoint was done in a hurry, I was doing my, we have to do a financial report. I was doing my financial report for the mission office, trying to get that done so I could get that sent in before I came out. I was trying to get it done before we started our, our retreat with our deacons and their wives from the Capitol. And uh, I was trying to get that thing done, and my laptop died. And I've got to do it with a laptop. I've got to do it electronically and send it. We used to do them by paper. We can't do that no more. We have to do those things electronically, and we send that off to the mission office by email. And so now my laptop died. And so here I get out the little screwdrivers, and I take apart some laptops, and I'm trying to cobble one together. And I actually got a laptop put together, and it, it works. You know, it's kind of funny. It actually it doesn't really work really good, like the Wi-Fi on it won't work if I'm as far away from here to there. But if I get real close to it, the Wi-Fi works too. It's kind of funny. I don't know what I unhooked or hooked up in there, but something didn't get right. And there are some other little problems, like the number four doesn't seem to want to work very often. But, you know, generally speaking, it sort of works, you know. You know, I know a lot about computers because I have a whole list of stuff not to do again. You, ever, you guys have some of those, don't you? Yeah, I can fix that more because I know what not to do again, you know. But you know what? If I get another body coming down there, I get another person coming down there, another brain coming down there, they're going to have knowledge of things I don't know about. They're going to have abilities that I don't have and that I'll probably never learn. Uh, you need the companionship. Now, all you men know, you women know too, that companionship is important. You, you go out here and you, you find somebody digging a hole. You'll have two guys down there with a pick and a shovel and two guys standing there leaning, talking, looking, to, looking at them. And you know what? Those two guys that are with that pick and shovel will work better with those two other two guys there. That's just a fact. While they'll talk about things, they'll pass the time while they're doing it so they don't get bored and tired while they're digging. They'll swap off and help each other and bounce off of one another. You ladies know it too. And there's all kind of companionship. Now, I have a hard time relating to women. I really, I don't know very much about them. I've been married to one now for 30 years. I'm still studying her. You know, we use, uh, every Sunday we use French, we use Creole, we use Spanish. I still don't know how to talk, I still don't know how to talk so women understand what I'm saying. But just for an example, you know, women a lot of times, they like to validate each other. For example, when they go shopping, if I'm with my wife and she, she'll pick something out and she'll say, now, does, do you think this goes with the curtains? Well, yeah, sure. But it's camo. Oh, well, I didn't, I like camo. Why wouldn't it go with the curtains, you know? And women, I, I drive that poor lady crazy if she takes me shopping. She'll say, do you like this? I'll go, well, yeah, I like that. She'll go, well, what about this? She's like, well, I like that too. Well, you can't like them both. Well, why not? They're both brand new. They're in a the box. They're shiny. They're not broken. Or... Why wouldn't I like them? 
And women think about things differently than men do. And they bounce off each other differently. And they, they discuss things differently than men do too. That companionship's important. And we need to have those more workers on the field. A, a, a worker, another worker that comes brings with him his money too. Missionaries always need more money. But you know, when another missionary comes, he brings his money too. Whether we're doing a project, he can put his in there too. Another missionary brings something I can never get anywhere else. He brings another 24 hours a day. He brings another seven days a week that we can't do otherwise. Now, this past year when we had youth camp, we had six adults scheduled to be at youth camp. We had my wife and I, we had two of our college students, and we had another married couple, a young married couple that had been helping us in the church. And the day of youth camp, the day before youth camp, actually, the two college students called and said, listen, the people who have given us our our uh, scholarship, which was another organization, another parachurch organization, has, has scheduled an activity and said we have to come to that, and it's mandatory that we have to go to that, so we can't come to youth camp. So now we're down to four workers. The day of youth camp, I'm talking about while, while I was coming up to the youth camp with the young people, the other, two, the other couple called and said they had had a motorcycle wreck and they were injured and they couldn't come. So now we had all of these young people, boys and girls, and we only had my wife and myself there. To do it, and man, that's a twenty-four hour a day job because you know you leave young people unattended at nighttime, you got problems. I said, man, I didn't sleep for days. Uh, I, I I did a little bit better the second night because I wore them out. I realized if I don't wear these young people out, I'm never going to get to sleep. Man, I wore them out on day number two and kept them up till midnight. Make sure they couldn't go lay down. Wouldn't let them sleep during the day. Wouldn't let them hide to try to to try to make it where I could get some rest. But it was tough. I told her after that, I said, we're not doing that again. If we don't have six adults minimum, we're not going to do it. Uh, But, you know, at that time, I mean, it happened right there at the moment. I should have canceled at that time because we didn't have enough people. And that's what we don't have enough of on the mission field. You realize that the the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons are running us around in circles down there? There's over 300 Mormons from the United States down there. There's over 400 Jehovah's Witnesses down there from the United States. They're all over the place. Those Jehovah's Witnesses bang on my gate every cotton picking week. They won't come in my house. They'll come bang on my gate, and I tell them, look, here's the rules in my house. You, you want to talk to me? That's great. Here's what we do. You guys come in here, sit down on the sofa. I'll get you a cold drink. I know it's hot out here. I'll get you something cold to drink. And then you sit still and you be quiet and I'll teach you what the Bible says. That's how we do it. Now, they don't want to do that. Well, now, can't we discuss it? And I said, wait a minute. Are you a brain surgeon? That question always throws them. They go, well, what do you mean? No, I'm not a brain You're not a brain surgeon. Well, that's, why would I discuss brain surgery with you? You don't know anything about it. It's the same thing with the Bible. You're a Jehovah's Witness. You obviously don't know anything about the Bible. So I'll teach you the Bible. There's no need to discuss anything. And if you'll do that, and you'll come here week after week and sit down and let me teach you what the Word of God says. In a few weeks, I'll let you ask a question. Do you accept that? Of course, they never do. They never do. But my point is, they're running us to death. If I took every missionary of every stripe of Baptist and independent generic that's not a, that's not, that's not a Catholic or a Pentecostal or, 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 or a charismatic or something like that and put them all together, I wouldn't have 50 missionaries on that island. And we're surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of these cults. We need more people on the field. So when you pray, what it says right here, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. When you pray for Wesley and Mel and Elaine, just don't pray that God's going to protect us if we're in a gunfight or protect us in traffic, protect us from a disease. That's all important stuff. Pray this. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. We need more workers. There are two people right now that are 
uh, supposedly raising support to come to the mission field uh, and, and on, with the intention, I'll meet with both of those this coming week, uh, with the intention to uh, come to the mission field. And one couple's coming specifically to help us, uh, Joshua and Tia Lane, that's actually my nephew. They're coming specifically to help us. And so, uh, you know, pray that they can get there and pray that God will call more. They don't have to be from our same mission group. I, I usually haven't worked with outfits from our same mission group just because we don't have very many from our same mission group there. Don't, I don't care. If they're good, they're, they're right doctrinally and they're good missionaries, we need them down there. Amen? Something else to pray for. In uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.1, now look here what it says. Finally, my brethren, finally, brethren, pray for us. Boy, that's good right there. Starts out just right. That the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Now, we don't have that. We don't have that free course even as it is with you. I will say we don't have persecution. We don't have persecution where we are. But we don't have free course either. If we, in the town where we are right now, up there in Harabakoa, uh, we have resistance. We have active resistance. Now, out there in the Barona area, there were some Catholic churches out there, and when the priest was there, they're just about empty. You go look in the door, and you see the priest up front doing the thing he does, and you see just a few people sitting there. Most of it was empty. In the town where we are now, in Harbacoa, that town is Catholic. And, buddy, when the doors are open, the Catholic church is packed, and they're standing around the door outside. Now, I'm not kidding you. Them people, they go to Catholic church. They walk to church in the rain, now, they go to church, and uh, if we put up a sign, if we'll put up a banner, they'll tear it down within three hours. We had a big old printed thing, we put it on the front of the church. They come by and cut it up with knives. They'll tell the children to come to our children's program. If you go over to that children's program, you can't come to school. So we have resistance there. As a matter of fact, two of the pieces of land that we tried to buy, the Roman Catholic Church bought them right out from underneath us and built a building just immediately. One of them was a piece that the, the people in the city hall, they never really oppose us as far as if we go and we want to permit to do something in the park or something, they always give that to us. But they have land set aside for churches on the city plan. And we identified one of those pieces of land. And we went down and we asked them, can, can we go ahead and file to have that piece of land and we'll put a building up on that piece of land. And they told us, well, you'll have to go and get a survey and write a formal letter and get the measurements and write a letter in this format to this person. And when you get that all ready, you bring it back and then we'll file that and then we can start that process. So we jumped right on that, went out there and got the survey done and got the letter written. We were back before two weeks were out with everything they wanted. And we went in there and, oh, man, too bad. Just day before yesterday, the priest came in and filed all these documents. We've already given that to the Catholic Church. And they ran in there and built a building right away. I was joking along with the other missionaries saying, we had to just out a file for everything in town, bankrupt them trying to build new churches around here. And we finally bought a piece of land off of a private individual uh, to build the church on there in Harbacoa. So we get resistance. We need to have, uh, the word of the Lord needs to have that, that free course. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was uh, speaking in, to the Corinthians, he talked about in, in 1 Corinthians 16.9, he said, there are many adversaries, and we have those adversaries too. Sometimes those adversaries, sometimes they come in the form of other missionaries or other churches. I always tell our people in our church, you know, I don't want you to, uh, I want us to fill this church up with lost souls. I don't want to fill this church up with people from other churches. 
That's what I tell them. Because there are a couple other little churches in town. There's, there's some Pentecostal churches. There's one church that I, I think is right doctrinally, but they don't have Baptists on the name. But I think they're right doctrinally. I tell them, I don't want to fill this up with people from other churches. I want to fill our church up with lost souls that come here and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. I'd rather be the feeder church, my home church in Baltimore. Uh, we, we always had a lot of people at the altar, and it seemed like they would come there and get saved and get baptized, and they would be there for a year or two, and then they'd be gone, and they'd be in another church. That's why when I go down to Baltimore, I go to a bunch of churches around Baltimore, and everybody in all those churches know me because they were all a member of Calvary Baptist Church at one time or another, kind of a feeder church out into the other areas. And I'd rather be that feeder church than the one that's just taking all the members that have a problem somewhere else because if you take the other guy's problem, well, then you got his problem. You know what I'm saying? And so I, don't, so I don't want to do that, you know. Um, but there are many adversaries. Sometimes there are other missionaries. Sometimes the, the, the missionaries will say things like, I, I remember one missionary, God bless him, I think he's a good missionary. But talking about his town, he said, well, we don't need any more missionaries in our town. We have me and we have this other church. We have our church and this other church. We don't need any more missionaries. Now, that town has about 400,000 people. And if you took those two churches on their biggest day of the year, they don't have 200 people in both those churches combined. Now, you think about it. How's that, how's that look around in this area? Uh, how many churches are there right around here? And I just told him outright. I said, listen, if you were in a church, if you were in a town of 400,000 people in the United States and you went on Google Map and you wrote Baptist Church, you'll have them little things pop up all over the place. There's plenty of room for more Baptist churches. You're not getting one-tenth of one percent of the population in this town. So don't get territorial. Don't get where you're claiming things. Unless you're filling up the door, filling the place up, and, and bringing them in, then I don't want to hear that racket. I'm, I'm the old missionary now. I can tell them that stuff now. You know, I get rough with them. Back when you're when you're first a new missionary, you're kind of oh, you okay. I don't want to offend nobody. And you know, I was always that way. I never wanted to offend anybody. So, um, uh, you don't believe me? It hurts me. I mean, you look up the word politically correct in the dictionary. It's got my picture right there. You can just bet. <clears throat> I want you to pray that the word of God will have free course. We're not persecuted. We live in a world where there's real persecution, okay? There are people that are getting their heads chopped off because they believe in Jesus Christ. I don't want you to think we're persecuted, but we are resisted. And we need that the word of the Lord will have free course. We need, uh, as Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, that a door, he said, a door was opened. A door was opened when he went to Troas. And we need that door to be open for us there in Harabakoa. Uh, horrible call, i got to say, is the toughest town yet that I've tried to do mission work in. It really is. Uh, those people will just tell you outright, I'm not going over there, I'm a Catholic. I ain't going to go over there. And so it, it is something that we do have to overcome. And we need you to pray that the word of the Lord will have free course, that God will be glorified, and nothing glorifies God more than souls accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. Amen? So when you pray for us, pray for those labors. Pray that the Word of God will have free course. And then pray what the Bible tells us here in Ephesians. Let me go over here real quick to Ephesians chapter 3 and in verse 19. And there's a parallel passage of this, by the way, in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 3. But I'm going to read the one here in Ephesians chapter 3, 19. The Apostle Paul was concerned about languages. And, of course, we have to be concerned about languages. He said, and for me, he's talking about prayer here, and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That utterance may be given unto me. 
that I don't know what to say and how to say it. The Apostle Paul was in much the same situation we are as far as he traveled to areas where there were different languages spoken. He, we know that he traveled down to Jerusalem. He, he traveled uh, up, up, into the, uh, up into Asia. Uh, he traveled around, uh, apparently he traveled as far as Spain at some point in his life. So he was where there were a lot of different languages. He was a very intelligent person. He was very well educated uh, in the classical Greek and in the Greek classics and the Greek poets. He was a very, very well educated man. Uh, there's very strong indications that the Apostle Paul was well educated in astronomy and, uh, and many other things. And so I, I like to find interest in the things he find interest in and try to go find out what I can uh, uh, figure out. What, the, what was his education like? All right, I want to get some of that, you know. And uh, the Apostle Paul was talking here about utterance, about being able to speak the right language and say the right things in the right language. And that's important, folks. It's important for us. Now, those of you who have been there have seen how it is when sometimes uh, some Haitian will be talking to me and I'll be speaking to that Haitian and Creole and answering their thing. And then some Dominican will come over here and start saying something to me. And, and I'll turn around and just keep answering them. And now I'm speaking Creole and they're just kind of standing there looking at me like, yeah, I don't know what you're saying, you know. And my wife's off to the side going, you know, hey, Wes, you know, you got to speak Spanish to that one. I go, okay, now what was I saying? Now I just, that makes me go blank when that happens. And, uh, and, and not only that, but what to say, what to do. There are cultural differences in these countries. And you need to pray for us. Now, my wife does very good in the languages, too. Those of you who have been there know my wife. She speaks the Creole. She speaks the Spanish. She speaks the French. And, and she's active in every part of the ministry. She has to know what to say at different times. We need to know what the, the, that, that language is a great part of the culture. Uh, some things are culturally different uh, there than they would be here. And I remember just a few years ago when I was here in the States, I was here for a short trip, and I went to a thrift store, and there was a big uh, set of longhorns, you know, uh, from a cow. From, a, from one of these longhorn cattle. It went way out and had the leather wrapped around it, and I picked that thing up and bought that thing. I thought, I'm going to take, take that thing to the field and put that on my pickup truck. <laughs> yeah, that's for me, man. I'm going to take that. So uh, at that time, I had just bought my other daughter that little green Hyundai thing, you know, that little boxy Hyundai thing, and I got some zip ties and zip tied it on the front of that Hyundai. It's kind of funny because the horns were... It, it was a funny-looking little thing with them horns on it, but I drove that around until I gave that to her, and I shipped those horns down there. And then I realized that even though I'm out there in the countryside where you have ranchers and you have cattlemen and stuff out there, I didn't see that on any of the cars. I didn't see that on any of the pickup trucks. And that got me wondering before, I'm glad I did this. I called a friend of mine, and I said, listen, I bought these horns, and I was going to put these horns on my truck, but I noticed I don't see any horns on any trucks around here. He goes, oh, no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Well, why not? He said, because in this country, when you put horns on the front of your truck like that, that's an insult to your wife. You're publicly declaring that your wife is unfaithful to you. And it's a way that you make fun of your wife or, or disrespect your wife for being unfaithful to you. You've got to be kidding me. I said, no, that's what that means here. I still haven't made the connection. I've got to tell you, I thought about that a long time. Let me see. Part of a dead cow on my truck. My wife's unfaithful. I don't know. I don't make the connection. But apparently they, they do somehow. And he said, you can't do that. So I didn't do that. Well, what's the purpose of that story? To show you that there are cultural things that are different that we got to know. And this whole thing with the language is part of that. And even the Spanish that we use is different from Spanish in Mexico or Spanish in, in uh, you know, Madrid. It's not the same Spanish. And you got to know these localisms. you got to know these things that people say. And so uh, it's important that we're able to speak correctly. There's a big difference between me being able to say, uh, ¿Cómo está usted? And, and uh, or going to someone's house and understanding, okay, this person's loved one passed away, and me being able to sit down and communicate with and care for that person. There's a big difference. 
And uh, that difference uh, comes out when it comes time to win a soul to Jesus Christ. Amen? Just a few weeks ago, I don't really believe in coincidences because I've seen the Holy Spirit do so many things over the years. Uh, just a few weeks ago, at prayer meeting, we have, we have uh, with the Dominicans, we have a Thursday night prayer meeting service. And we usually break up to pray. The women go one area, the men go to another area. And we do it different ways. Sometimes we take requests and we write them all out. Sometimes we have a sheet that we hand out. Sometimes we, we write down our personal requests and we swap them with somebody else. And they pray for ours and we pray for theirs. We do different things for prayer meeting. But uh, on this particular night, my wife went off to pray with a lady over there, and I had taken this young guy who had been coming to church, and I, I couldn't remember they'd ever made a profession of faith, and I took him over into one of the other rooms to pray, and I asked him, I said, Edward, tell me, because the Holy Spirit was speaking to my heart in such a strong way and saying, this kid, this kid ain't saved. This kid needs to receive Christ as a Savior. The Holy Spirit was speaking to my wife and Emma over in that other room at the same time. And my wife said, we need to pray for Edward that he'll get saved. And so they were over there praying, unbeknownst to me, that Edward would receive Christ as Savior. The Holy Spirit was speaking to me. I started speaking to Edward. I said, Edward, I want you to tell me if you can remember a time when you received Christ as your Savior. I want you to tell me if you're a Christian, are you saved? He goes, well, no, I, I don't think I am, but I want to be, but I don't know how. How can I do that? And so instead of me going down this prayer request list, I spent my time going through the Bible with Edward. And Edward prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think that's an accident. And, and, and he's been faithful ever since. Now, the kid's a wild kid, you know. He's like 15 years old. He's always popping wheelies on his motorcycle and whatever, you know. And, and, uh, but you know what? I like them wild kids because when you get a church full of wild kids, your church has a future. Amen? I love it when I get a bunch of teenagers, a bunch of young adults in church. We got this one grouchy old guy in the Capitol, in the Haitian church in the Capitol. He's a grouchy old guy, you know. He, nobody, he, every time I talk to him, you know, I mean, I'll be in the church. The church will be packed. There'll be no room for anyone to sit. And he'll come and say, Pastor, we need to talk. I say, what's going on? Church is falling apart, Pastor. People are leaving left and right. I don't know what we're going to do. There's almost nobody here. And I'm looking out and I'm thinking, well, I don't know. Where, where are all these nobodies sitting at? Because there's no seats for them to sit in left. I don't know what you're talking about. But he'll see the young people back there and he'll say, look at them young people back there fooling around in church. And I'll go, amen. Isn't that great? He'll go, what? I said, them young people back there, they're fooling around in church. I said, that's great, ain't it? Pastor, did you hear me? I said, them young people are fooling around in church. I thought that's what you said. Isn't that wonderful? He said, what are you talking about, preacher? I said, well, didn't you say those young people are in church? They're in church, right? Well, yeah, but yeah, but what? People that age, I don't expect them to ever do anything but fool around. I'd much rather be fooling around right over there than fooling around down there on the corner. Amen? Fooling around back in the alley, all kind of place they can fool around in that country. Man, they'd be down the pool hall over at the cockfighting ring up at the, you know, down at the disco. They're in church. Man, that's crazy. Quit griping and being mean to all these young people. You run half them out of here. I'm going to run you out of here just so we get more of them. You don't understand all that stuff if you don't have that ability to have that utterance and the ability to speak boldly and to know when to speak boldly and know when to keep your mouth shut. That, that helps too. Uh, sometimes too, you get these local things. Well, I was at the church at Jambal and this old guy comes over to me and he tells me, Pastor, uh, what, he told, what he said to me is he said a localism. He said to me, I want to have a couple words with you out back. But what I heard was there's a couple dead guys out back. <laughs> because I, I wasn't familiar with that form. And he come to me and he said, Pastor, there's a couple dead guys out back. We were in church. Church was over. People were talking around, shaking hands, talking, milling around. And he comes over and said it to me. I said, what? Where? 
out back. Like, man, we've got to find out what's going on. Where's my pistol? Let's go out there, man. I'm going out there. I go out back with my pistol. I'm looking around. He comes out there. Where's he dead people? What dead people? Didn't you tell me there's some dead people out here? No. Well, what did you say? I said, I want to have a couple words with you out here. Am I going to need this? Because <laughs> I ain't going to need it. I put it away. But, you know, now i got to know what you want. Sometimes I got to tell you, man, sometimes I think my head's going to explode down there with these languages. And uh, especially if we have a joint service together where we'll have everybody, you know, we have a group in sometimes, an American group in, and we'll have the Dominicans and the Haitians and the Americans all there together, and we'll sing a hymn, and the Americans will sing a, a verse in English, and then everybody sings a chorus in their language, and then the Haitians will sing a verse in their language, and everybody sing the chorus, and the Dominicans sing the chorus, the verse in their language, and everybody sing the chorus, and... Um, you know, i got to take some aspirin after a job like that. <laughs> but it's important. It's important. And uh, it, it's one of the more difficult parts of the job. And uh, it's something that uh, we have to be able to do because our job there is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to get people saved. Our job there is to train leaders how they're going to be able to stay grounded and rooted, uh, rooted and grounded in good doctrine as they develop those churches and not stray away from good doctrine into, into things like ecumenicalism or charismaticism. And they need to understand why we're not that way and who we are and what we are. It's important because when we are ministering to people that they're sharing their feelings with us that we can understand what is going on so we can be effective in the ministry. It's important so that my wife, when she is teaching children, those children can understand and the words that she says can touch their heart that they can receive Jesus Christ and understand what they did and remember what they did. I got saved when I was eight years old. I still remember it. I understood what I was doing. I still understand it today because the guy who was talking to me could communicate that message well to me. We could expand this thing way out if we wanted to. So many different places where uh, the Apostle Paul or others said pray for us. In Hebrews 13, he said pray for us. In James 5, the Bible says pray one for another. In Colossians 4, 4, praying for us also. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he said hey, we always pray for you. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, remembering without ceasing your work. Ephesians 6, 18, a very familiar passage, praying always with all prayer and supplication. We need your prayers. Sometimes your prayers will be the only way you can help us. But we need you to pray that God will send laborers into his field. We need more workers. We need you to pray that God will let his word have free course there in the town of Harbacol where we're working at. We need you to pray that God will give us utterance. So that when I'm speaking Spanish, or if I'm speaking Creole, or if I'm using French, or if I'm speaking English, that I'll say the words that need to be said, that the Holy Spirit will speak through me, and that lives will be changed and touched because of the power of the Word of God. Amen? Amen. So then the question comes down to you. Do you pray for your missionaries? That prayer card back there on the back table, I want you to take one home. But I, I just bet you and nearly everybody here at one time or another is going to clean out a car to get a car ready to sell and you find that car stuck you find that prayer card stuck down in the seat. You ever find that? 
clean out the glove box, and there's a prayer card stuck down in there. You find out that the, the binding on your Bible is breaking, so you take out all those prayer cards and stick them in a drawer there somewhere in the hallway, and you never see them again. Well, you ain't no different than I am. Take that prayer card and pray for your missionaries. Find a place to put them. Put them on the mirror where you shave. Put them on the mirror where you do your hair. Put them on the refrigerator that you open every day and then look at them when you go in there. Put them under that sheet of glass on your desk. Do you pray for your missionaries? Do you pray that uh, for that missionary's relationship to God, that he will stay close to God? Do you pray for that missionary's family? Do you pray for that physical safety? What's my biggest danger on the field? Do you think it's thieves and gunfights? That stuff's just a lot of fun for me. You, you get in a good gunfight with someone, it's all fun and games, of course, until someone gets shot. That, that mess up your whole day. But the fact of the matter is that the biggest danger we have is traffic and sickness. Physical sickness and traffic, that's our biggest dangers. Do you pray for your missionaries? Do you pray for that missionary's family? That missionary who's grieving because their family's far away? Because they miss their family? You know, our, now our children, our grandchildren, they all live here in the United States and we live over there. Every hunting season it comes up. My brothers go deer hunting down in West Virginia with my uncles and their friends, and I, I, I almost never go. I almost can never go. Man, I tell you, come September, October, I'm out there, I'm down there on a mission field going, I can smell them squirrels getting ripe in the trees up there in West Virginia, man. And if I was here, I'd be right out there. I'd be tearing them up, but I'm not. Do you pray for their, their relationship and how they can be homesick? Do you pray for their language study and their ability to communicate with their churches back home or with people there? Do you pray for that missionary's relationship with the other missionaries? Sometimes missionaries have conflict. Do you pray for the country where your missionary is serving? Some countries are very, very unstable. Haiti sometimes goes through periods of huge disruption where it's just lawless for weeks at a time. The Dominican Republic is generally lawful and they have some areas that are kind of lawless. Uh, But during election time, it gets crazy. It gets crazy. Sometimes we've been out driving and drive up to a big protest where they're burning tires and rocks and people throwing rocks and the army comes and they're shooting tear gas and everybody's shooting at each other. And, and again, you know, that's a lot of fun, but you need to pray for those other missionaries. We enjoy that stuff. <clears throat> Here's my point. He said in 1 Thessalonians 5.25, pray for us. Do you pray for your missionaries like you should? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please. Now, this message, I've given you different things to pray for. Pray that God will send laborers to his field. Pray that we'll have free course. Pray that we'll be able to have that utterance to speak. There's a lot of other things. My question to you is this. Do you pray for your missionaries every day like you should? Maybe you're here today and you've heard that message and you think, wow, I didn't, hadn't thought about that. I need to pray more for my missionaries, for these specific things. I need to pray. And I'm not praying for my missionaries like I should. And I need to change that. Brother Lane, will you pray for me that I will be convicted to pray more? I know I need to pray more for our missionaries. Would you raise your hand if you know that's your condition? I need to pray more for our missionaries. Amen. 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 I'm going to pray for you. And while I pray for you, you pray. You pray. And you tell the Lord. You ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me for not praying for my missionaries like I should. Lord, remind me of our missionaries. Lord, convict me to pray for my missionaries. Pray in your heart while I pray for you this evening. Father in heaven, we thank you for the folks here at Trinity Baptist Church. Lord, we know this is a missions-minded church.
But yet, Father, very often we need to be reminded that it's not out of sight, out of mind when it comes to missions. That we have missionaries around the world that are often in dangers that we don't think of. Sometimes they're in dangers of of persecution from a government. Sometimes they're just in dangers of being broke down in a desert or in a jungle. Sometimes, Father, they're in danger of physical sickness from the food or the water or from mosquitoes. Sometimes, Father, they're in danger from bandits. Lord, you know what those dangers are. Father, we pray now that you will convict the people here at at Trinity Baptist Church that they will remember every single day to pray for the missionaries that are supported by this church, for the missionaries that are working around the world. God, I pray, Lord, that you would put in their heart to pray that God will send more missionaries to the island of Hispaniola to help us. God, I pray that you will put in their heart to pray that your word will have free course in the towns and the villages where we go to preach the gospel, that we won't have that resistance, that that door will be open as it was to the Apostle Paul and Troas, that people will receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Let these folks pray for the lost, that your word can have free course in their hearts and they can come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray these people will be reminded to pray that the missionaries can have utterance, that we can speak correctly and clearly, uh, that as we get up to, to preach and do public speaking in a language that's not our own, that we'll say the right words and not just, uh, not just uh, grammatically correct, but the words that the Holy Spirit wants to use to touch the hearts of the people that are listening so that people can receive Jesus Christ. Convict the people that raise their hands. And Father, there are others that didn't raise their hand that should fall under conviction to pray more often and more fervently for our missionaries. Father, we thank you for those who are praying now. Bless them. Give them that conviction. Give them the answer to the prayer that they give now, Lord, that they, the answer that they seek so that they can be more effective as a prayer warrior for your missionaries around the world. Lord, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.